Welcome back to Lost in Plots, presented by Owlcrate and hosted by yours truly, myself, Corey, and Jordan from Team Owlcrate. This week, Jordan and I are getting prepped and prepared to jump into National Novel Writing Month, or NaNoWriMo, with some hints, tips, and tricks with special guest and New York Times bestselling author Marissa Meyer. Welcome, Marissa. We can't wait to talk to you about writing today. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Thank you. I'm super excited. Uh, talking about NaNo is one of my favorite topics. So yeah, let's do this. It's funny, we were before we started recording, we were just talking about how we've got young kids and I'm homeschooling and I'm like, okay, time to switch on the writer brain now because I'm still kind of in homeschooling mode from about five minutes ago. But no, NaNoWriMo, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> we can probably just talk a little bit about what NaNoWriMo is to begin with because I think that a lot of folks have seen this as an acronym if you're involved in the book community for sure and if you're involved in the writing community absolutely you know what NaNoWriMo is but it's an annual challenge that takes place every November the goal is simple participants aim to write a 50,000 word novel in just 30 days no big deal right that doesn't seem (laughs) incredibly difficult at all but it's an incredible opportunity to push creative boundaries overcome writer's block and connect with community of writers from all over the world. I wrote that out, by the way. I, that was not off the cuff, Marissa. No, that, that <laughs> sounded, yeah, I mean, not rehearsed at all. <laughs> it was a perfect uh, little summary of what NaNo is. And it was founded in 1999. So it's been 25 years almost of NaNoWriMo. Oh, nice. More than that, maybe. I can't math. Uh, that Four? would be 24. 24. Yeah. 24. Yeah. How, uh, <laughs> I did say almost. Nailed you it. You nailed it. <laughs> and Marissa, how long have you been participating in NaNoWriMo or how did you come across um, it? Like, what's your, what's your history with it? Yeah, I've got a lot of history. I believe the first time I ever did it was 2006. So not long after I graduated from college. And back then I was still writing Sailor Moon fan fiction. So those first two years, 2006 and 2007, I used NaNo to draft uh, different fanfics that I was writing. And then 2008, I had the idea for writing a science fiction retelling of Cinderella. And I used NaNoWriMo to draft my debut novel, Cinder. And actually it was... I say Cinder. I actually used that NaNoWriMo because I knew that Cinder was going to be the first of a series and I planned out the entire series. And so I actually drafted uh, Cinder, Scarlet and about half of Crest in that that one month. Yeah, so it it definitely kind of helped kickstart my career. And then since then, well over half of my published novels started life during November due to NaNoWriMo. That's amazing. So you wrote Cinder and then outlined like your other three novels in that series. I outlined the whole series before November. Um, so November I was just drafting, but I drafted over 150,000 words. So I drafted all of Cinder, all of Scarlet, and yeah, maybe like half of Cress. You, you guys are giving me these looks. Like, <laughs> tell me more. They're incredibly impressive. Yeah, your impressed looks. There was this contest going on, and it was a local contest, and it was like the the person who was hosting it was somehow connected with these people who were going to be involved in the production of a new Star Trek season, and so they were having this contest. The local Seattle area writer that wrote the most words that year could get a walk on role in an episode of Star Trek. 
And so I was just like extremely motivated. Like, yes, I would like to be on Star Trek. That would make my life. And so that that's what I was going for. But I didn't win. I think I came in like third of all of the local writers. But in the end, I'm pretty sure they never even ended up making that season of Star Trek. Like, I, I don't think it happened. I think it got backburnered and, you know, Hollywood. So <laughs> in the end, I ended up with a published series and now I'm living my dream. So I feel like I won. You absolutely won. <laughs> and is it, isn't it the term for nano... Um, because as we said, uh, the goal is to draft a 50,000 word novel in the month of November in 30 days. And is it called winning when you do 50,000 words? Is that the, that's the terminology? I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. I mean, if you draft 50,000 words in a month, you can say you won. <laughs> I think so. Honestly, I think that if you use Nano to accomplish more than you would have otherwise, I think you've won. Um, lots of people get hung up on that 50,000 words. For me, I'm a fast drafter, so that's not a huge challenge. But for some writers, that's an enormous challenge. And 50,000 words seems absolutely impossible. And they can get really intimidated and feel like, well, I could never do that, so why try? But I think if you normally write 5,000 words in a month and Nano encourages you to push for 10,000, then you've won. Like you have succeeded. You have met the challenge. And I think that there's tiers to Nano as well, right? I have participated one time and I got to 8,000 words and that's mm -hmm. it. And I'm, I'm one of the folks who was like, oh, this will never be good. I'm never going to get to 50,000 words. And I gave up because mm. I think most people who draft novels give up. Um, it happens a lot. No, finishing is absolutely one of the hardest milestones. But I do remember that you could have like a little tracker mm -hmm. that would actually keep motivating you as you, you went. Yes, yes. No, they've got lots of fun tools on their website, uh, which is nanorimo.org. And it's actually, it's been a couple years since I've done it because my publishing schedule just doesn't allow me to do it every November. But yeah, there's there's fun tracking things. You can like create your, a little page for your novel where you have a summary and you can even put up like cover art and lots of things just to kind of help inspire you. Kind of on that note, from you personally, beyond the Nano website, which is really fun and interactive, by the way, do you have maybe any advice for people listening for overcoming and staying motivated outside of that tech zone um, during the month? Like, do you, do you have any techniques you used for yourself or? Yeah, yeah, no. And I think it's interesting um, that Jordan mentioned uh, you know, talking about writing those 8,000 words. And at one point you thought, well, this is no good or this will never be any good. And for me, like that's such a red flag when you're doing NaNoWriMo or really uh, drafting any book, you know, that first draft period, do not worry about whether it's good or whether it's going to be any good. Like that's, that's such a quick way to just put the brakes on and we get that internal editor starts criticizing and now we're doubting everything. And like the writing life, there's already so much doubt. We don't need to add to it. Um, so, yeah. So finding ways to, they say silence that inner editor is one of the biggest hurdles to overcome. And for me, when those those doubts start to creep up and I start to think, oh, this book is terrible, terrible. It's so cliche. These characters are so boring. You know, just whatever is going in my head. I always just remind myself that it's not about writing. It's about revising. You can make it better later. This is the stage where we're just trying to get words down, just trying to explore the story, see where it takes us, get to know these characters. 
the future is for making it good, making it better. So that's, I think that's a huge part of it. Don't worry about being perfect or even like halfway decent. Just try to get those words down is a, is definitely one of my, my biggest pieces of advice. I love that. Have fun with your story. Yeah, absolutely. It should be fun. People forget this sometimes, but really what are we doing? We are making stuff up. You have complete control over what goes onto the page. Have fun with it, you know, go a little nuts. I have to ask as somebody who gets stuck with the inside thoughts and being Mm -hmm. like the internal editor, how do you keep from making major edits as you go? How do you fight perfectionism? (laughs) That's so easy for me. I just don't. <laughs> but of course, as as you're drafting, you will, of course, have thoughts about how to make something better. And you might think like, uh, for example, the book I'm working on right now, I, I just realized that the romance isn't clicking because I have no reason for the two, the couple to stay apart. Um, so there's just no romantic tension like that. He likes her. She likes him. Why aren't they getting together? Why? Because it would be too easy. And I don't like that. And so, you know, I've been working on this book for six months and just now had that realization, like I need to add romantic tension, but I am not going to go back and change everything that I've written up to now. Instead, I'm going to figure out, okay, where is this romantic tension going to come from? I'm going to determine, okay, she's hung up on relationships because of X, Y, Z, or he can't be with her because of X, Y, Z. And I'm going to leave a note for myself for when I come back and revise it, the first hundred pages, I need to incorporate this into their character and into their interactions. And now going forward for the next 200 pages that I have to write, I'm going to proceed with writing as if I have already made those changes. I'm just going to pretend it's been there this whole time and just keep going. Perfect. (laughs) I do have a couple more just little advice questions because I know people listening are the people who are interested in in taking part in NaNoWriMo. You mentioned before, we've talked about it a lot, is uh, everybody is busy. Everybody Mm. has work and or children or hobbies outside of writing Mm -hmm. or whatever you have going on in your life. Sure. What are some techniques that you've used during a NaNoWriMo where you've been participating that you've been like, how this is where I'm going to block out time to sit down and uh, actually write. How do you mentally grasp that? I feel like it's yeah. a challenge for a lot of people. It absolutely is. And I'm so glad you asked that. I actually, um, so I also have a podcast called The Happy Writer. And years ago, I interviewed Grant Faulkner, who is one of the founders of NaNoWriMo on the podcast. And I remember asking him, like, what's one of some of your major advice for people to finish NaNo? And this was what he talked about, like a lot of people put so much energy into planning out their novel in advance of November. They think, okay, who are my characters? And let's maybe make an outline for the plot and this sort of thing. But what a lot of people forget to do is to also plan out their time. And you just assume that like now that it's NaNoWriMo, all of my normal obligations are going to disappear and I'll be able to write all the time. And of course, that's not how life works. So his advice really stuck with me is in the weeks leading up to NaNo, really give some thought to how are you going to do this? When are you going to fit it in? And you can, you know, maybe block out certain appointments with yourself on your calendar. This Saturday is a writing day, or I'm going to go to these write-ins at my local library or whatever 
that looks like for you. For me, I might, I know, because I've been doing this for so long, I have a pretty good idea of how many words I can write in, say, an hour. So I'll figure out, okay, how many hours do I need to devote to meet my goals and think, okay, so let's say I need an hour in the morning. I can do that during my coffee time before my kids wake up. And then maybe twice a week, I can schedule dates with the grandparents for the kids to go and to be watched for a couple hours. And I can use that time or whatever it is. And like, really think, how are you going to rearrange your life or reprioritize your time to make this happen? That's, that's great advice. And one thing you actually just mentioned there that I don't know if a lot of people are aware of is you mentioned something called a write-in. And I know that community is a big part of NaNoWriMo. Have you ever been involved? Like, how are you involved in the community or have you been involved in the community aspect of it? Like, have you gone to a write-in or organized one? Um, What's your experience there? Yeah, I've never organized one. I have been to a number of them, although, again, it's been years now since I sadly have not been able to participate uh, in a little while. Here we are two weeks out and I'm like trying to figure out if I can finish this draft of the novel I'm working on to like quickly switch over to another thing for Nano. I don't know if it's going to work out, but I love to do it. I'm always sad if I can't. But yes, anyway, to your question. So yeah, I have done write-ins and they're great. And even like, even if it's not an official sponsored write-in, which there are lots of great ones. So if you don't have a writing community, then I highly, highly recommend it. But for me, I will do a lot of virtual write-ins through Instagram, and just like here, I'm going live for an hour. Let's all sit around and write together. Or I will get some of my writing buddies together and we'll, you know, have a day where we just sit in a cafe and write together, things like that. It's, it makes writing a lot more fun and just kind of takes some of the loneliness away because it can be a pretty solitary job. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to know how you tackle writer's block because I've been sitting here and thinking, to myself, okay, there's many times where I have sat down and I'm like, I'm going to do this task and I have the time to do it and I know that I'm fully prepared for it and then nothing comes out. So my first question would be, what do we mean by that we're fully prepared? Maybe, Uh, that's right. Maybe I'm not fully prepared. (laughs) And there's different ways of being prepared too. Um, There's being prepared with the the actual mechanics of writing. Do we know what happens in this next chapter or do we need to take a few minutes to think about it, to plan it out, to ask ourselves, okay, what ha- needs to happen next in the plot or what is one thing that I really need to fit into this chapter, something I need to convey to the readers. Like just take a few minutes and think about what this chapter is about can be really helpful. For me, a lot of times I get so hung up on the first paragraph, like the... That introductory, where are we? Where is this chapter taking place? Are we in a bedroom? Are we at school? Are we in a theater? Like just for some reason for me, if I haven't figured out the setting, then I can spend hours like, I don't know how to write this chapter when really I just need to figure out where is it taking place? And then my brain's like, okay, we're good to go. So so yeah, I mean, just thinking about what you actually need to be writing can be really helpful. Seems obvious, but it is funny how we can get hung up on stuff like that. And then there's also mental preparation. And this means different things for different people. If we are extremely distracted by doing laundry or the dishes piling up, like maybe is it an option to go somewhere else to go to a cafe for an hour? Is it an option to go to your bedroom and shut the door and just have, you know, your own little happy space for a little while? 
Do you logistically need to cross something off of your to-do list so that then you can focus? Or do you need to set up a ritual? Like when I put my headphones on, that can trigger to my brain that now it's writing time. So a lot of times just having something like that to kind of help you separate quote unquote real life from writing time can be helpful to make that mental switch. Awesome. That's great advice. And now that we've gotten through some of kind of how nano works, some of your advice, which by the way, thank you so much. Um, I know I'm sure you get asked for nano advice all the time as you're quite well known for being a participant, <laughs> um, but obviously you seem to like NaNoWriMo, so hopefully that's okay. But I just want to know, know a little bit about kind of how your relationship with NaNoWriMo started. Like, how did you come across it? What made you think, this is this is what I'm going to do. This is kind of how I'm going to write my first book outside of the fan fiction part of it. That's a great question. So I remember, I mean, I guess it must have been 2005, um, and it must have been December, because I remember a friend of mine who was also in the fan fiction community asked me, like, have you heard about this thing? And I looked it up and was so mad that it had just ended and nobody (laughs) had told me. (laughs) And so, like, I remember putting it on my calendar for next year, like, I will be prepared because I just love the idea. And I am one of those people that I thrive on challenges. I love having big goals. I love trying to do things that I'm not entirely sure if I'm capable of doing them or not. So that I just find that really motivating. And so... Yeah. So I started doing it in 2006. And ever since then, I've I've just loved it. I love what they stand for. I love how they get into schools and help encourage creativity with kids. But there's, with writing, I mean, there's so many things that can get in our way. And so many people who want to write, um, whether or not they want to be published, or they're just doing it for their own personal fulfillment. There's so many people who have stories and words inside of them and it can be so hard to prioritize and to think like okay I'm gonna like set time apart out of my my busy life and do this thing that I really really want to do and a lot of people go through life with those stories untold and I love that NaNoWriMo encourages you not for your whole life not for the entire year, but just for one month, like make this thing that you want to do a priority, take it seriously, but also have fun with it. And just say like, I'm going to see what I can do. And I think that's really healthy for people. Absolutely. Now, there's one thing that I was thinking about and have been thinking about as I've been compiled the notes for this podcast, and that we have a lot of advice online about how to join in on NaNoWriMo and participate, but there's not a whole lot of advice for writers after they finish their 50,000 words. So I'd love to know, with Cinder specifically, can you tell folks a little bit about your journey to publication beyond NaNoWriMo? Yeah, definitely. It is funny, and I know the people at NaNo have started doing uh, is it January, like a national editing month or something like that? Um, because I think they started to notice like now all these people have these novels written and don't know what to do with them. Um, for starters, do not send your new manuscript off to agents in December. Um, that'll just, just throw that out there as a number one piece of advice. Don't do that. It's actually a running joke because agents do get a, a surplus of new manuscripts in December, thanks to NaNoWriMo. Um, so, so don't be one of those. For me, so I wrote Cinder and, and Scarlet and Part of Cress in, like I said, and that was November of 2008. And then it took me two years after that uh, to revise Cinder and 
have it, you know, go through critique partners and beta reading and edits and so many drafts uh, until I felt like it was ready for publication or at least ready to submit to agents. So it was a a long two-year process. And I think that's important to keep in mind that like that draft that I wrote during NaNoWriMo was not the book or even really close to the book that you now see on shelves. For me, like, what is my revision process? So I write the thing. I try to give myself space from it if I can. Doesn't always work with the publication schedule. But if you can take a little break and let your brain reset, I think that's so good creatively because you will find that not not only will you kind of get rejuvenated for the project and start to get excited for it again, um, but you will also start to get all sorts of new ideas if you can set it on the back burner for a little while and you will just kind of instinctively start to get a grasp for what still needs to be worked on, what you can do better. Maybe you get an idea for a new subplot. Um, So it's always great if you can to set it aside for a little while. At that point, I will, usually after I've written the first draft, I already have a list going of things that I know that I want to change. And then I will spend some time thinking, okay, what can I do to make this better? Why this character is feeling flat to me. So maybe I need to do some character work. This one scene just could be a lot more exciting. I need to find a way to insert more tension into this chapter um, something like that. And then I will go through and just make a plan and figure out, okay, what, what do I need to do chapter by chapter to, to fix the book, to make it stronger. And then you start to rewrite and you start to revise and you go from there. And that can be a long, grueling process, but it can also be fun for me. Revisions actually are more fun than drafting. So I kind of look forward to it. (laughs) I love the giving it time to breathe advice. I think that's that's fantastic. Uh, I think yeah. stepping away is sometimes the hardest thing to do, it, especially yeah, if you're excited about a project. Definitely <laughs> no. And if you've got like lots of momentum, it can be hard to lose that. You don't have to stop writing. I mean, you can use that time to work on another project, of course. All right. So we're going to have we have some audience questions soon, but I have one more question for you before we dive into those. First of all, you've mentioned now that you're an established author, it's a little bit harder to participate because you're on deadlines and those pesky deadlines do get in your way. But do you you were mentioning you're working on a book now and do you have hopes of participating in Nano in the future or do you participate it, maybe participate in it in a different way where you use it? as motivation during a deadline or something to that extent? Yeah, no, I mean, I always do something during NaNo. Um, I can't always use it to start drafting a new project um, or to aim for that 50,000 word goal. But a lot of times I might use it to, if I'm halfway through a manuscript, I might use NaNo to try to finish it. Or I might use it to work on revisions and like, okay, I'm going to try to revise a book in this month or whatever it is. I love being a part of the community. And I just love that when you're writing during nano, you don't feel alone. Even if you are literally alone, like in your <laughs> office or whatever, and no one else is around, there's just such a sense of camaraderie. And you just know that there are thousands of people around in the world who are doing the exact same thing right now. And that just feels kind of cool. And like, you're really connected. So I, I think it's safe to say that I'm always doing something for nano. And yeah, this year is still a question mark because I... I <laughs> 
know that I should be continuing with the book that I'm supposed to be working on, but I also have an outline ready to go for my next novel. And that's really tempting to dive into. <laughs> I bet. I bet. We will see. <laughs> Are you ready for some pre-asked viewer audience questions? Not viewer. Listeners. Listener questions, Marissa. Sure. So we all we took these all from our Instagram on Owlcrate. And the very first one is Latte Brie 2 asks, what do you do to get inside your character's heads besides research? Mm. First of all, I am one of those writers where during NaNo and during my first drafts, um, I tend to be very plot focused. And by that, I mean, of course, there are characters and they are doing things, but I always start with an outline. And so I have a really clear plan for What are the major moments that need to happen? The things, the actions that are going to happen. And so for me, the first draft is very much an exploratory draft when it comes to characters. I'm putting them in these situations and seeing how they react to it. And for me, it's usually not until revisions that characters really start to come to life for me. So yeah, the first draft, I'm just trying to figure out who they are and why are they doing these things. Um, but it's usually not until the second or third draft when I really have a clear idea of their personality and uh, how do they talk and how do they dress and what sorts of things do they have on their bookshelves. Uh, things like that really kind of come later in the process for me. Um, and of course, it does change the plot. People are always like, but doesn't that mean you have to go back and change everything? Because now you have different characters and they do different things. The answer is yes. Revisions are hard. <laughs> but that's just kind of how my brain works. Gabrielle MK asks, how do you develop a single idea, for example, a cool character or setting into a plot? Oh, um, <laughs> huh. Well, or have you had, has this ever happened to you where you had this one singular thing and then you're like, I need this to be a story? I mean, I guess in a way you could say that Cinder started with what if Cinderella was a cyborg, Um, but that's kind of cheating because the very fact that you're doing a retelling gives you the bones of a plot. And so that, that may not count. I rarely start with a character or a setting for me. A lot of times I start with an idea, a concept. Um, It might be a what if question. Uh, Renegades pretty much came from the question, what if a supervillain fell in love with a superhero? And of course, I do a lot of retellings. So a lot of times it's, you know, what if what if Cinderella was a cyborg or what if, you know, Rapunzel was trapped in the satellite? Uh, These sorts of things. (laughs) So so I, I don't know that I have really experienced that in particular. That mm-hmm. said, if I were, like, let's just say that I got an idea for a character and I love this character and I know that they have a story to tell, I am going to start digging into who this character is. And the first thing I'm going to ask myself is, what is the absolute worst situation I could put this character into? So if you have a character who has terrible stage fright, then I would be thinking this is a character that clearly gets cast as the lead character in their school's drama play and has no idea what to do about it. Something like that. You know, what's the, what, what can I, what situations can I put this character in that's going to make them grow and change uh, and challenge them? 
if it's a setting, then my mind would first go to, okay, what kind of obstacles are this setting going to create for my protagonist? You know, if it's a fantasy, uh, what are the landscapes? Are there volcanoes we have to trudge across? Is this a, a seafaring pirate adventure? And are there sea monsters? This sorts of thing. And out of those ideas, as I'm figuring out what are the, the kind of natural obstacles and challenges this setting is going to create, that will probably start leading to ideas for the plot and the characters out of that. Fantastic. I have an incredible question here from Sea Fox Adventure, and I love your answer, by the way. I like I like poking at characters and making them do things they don't want to do. <laughs> That's what we do. That's pretty much our number one job. Sea <laughs> um, Fox Adventure asks, how do you discover or figure out small scenes that don't impact your larger story? How do I discover or figure them out? Yeah, I think that they're wondering how you insert smaller scenes that don't impact your larger stories, but they provide probably like greater context or mystery mm-hmm. to the reader. So honestly, if a, if, a, if a scene does not move the story forward in any way, I'm going to cut it. That scene is not going to end up in my book, which is not to say that I won't write it because sometimes writing those scenes can be really helpful to figure out different things about the character. But that is one of my requirements for every chapter to make it into the book. It needs to move the story forward in some way. That said, sometimes moving the story forward is character development, you know, or or discovering something about their background or a secret that they're they're harboring um, that your readers don't know about yet. Like that can absolutely be something that moves the story forward. And and so, yeah, I mean, if it's a scene that you love and you're excited for, maybe it's got great tension or maybe it's really romantic or like whatever it is and you want to keep it then figure out what about it is important to the story. Or if there's nothing about it, what can you inject into this that's going to move the, 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 the character arc forward or move the plot forward in some way? Fantastic. Okay, this one is a question that I feel like you're going to have a great answer for because your characters are fantastic. Um, but now your aunt asks, how do you keep your characters from feeling bored? Like, how do you make your characters three-dimensional? Hmm. I really wish I had a great answer for this. It is a question that I get asked a lot and I'm always like, I don't know, how does one do that? I feel like I'm always trying to figure that out myself. I I think about flaws and strengths. Um, I try to write characters that have things that are really interesting about them. A lot of times I'm writing characters that can do things that I think are really cool. Um, I very much feel like character creation is a chance to live vicariously. So whether it's a character that always speaks their mind, I love those characters because I am terrible. (laughs) I'm like, no conflict, no conflict, Um, peacemaker. Uh, So I love writing characters that are like really frank with people or they have a really cool skill, something that I really admire or envy in other people, something that I wish I could do. So that's um, something that I think about when I'm creating my characters. But then I'm also thinking about what their weaknesses are. What are they afraid of? What are their flaws? Every character is going to have somebody in their life that doesn't like them. Why? Why doesn't this person like them? You know, what is it about them that rubs some people the wrong way? And then I think about what is their backstory? What was their childhood like? What is their family situation like? Are they rich? Are they poor? Did they 
grow up with a lot of siblings? Are they an only child? Are they really popular? Are they kind of awkward? Do they get teased, bullied? You know, what are the things that have, you know, formed them into who they are? Those are the questions that I start by asking and then see how they develop from there. And I will say that a lot of times I will start with those questions answered and then they end up changing. You know, you start writing them and writing the character and they will reveal something in a piece of dialogue or a piece of narration that you as the author did not know. Um, And so now that changes who they are and who you thought that they were. And that's great. And that's, I think maybe that can scare aspiring writers and they think, oh, I spent all this time creating them. It was such a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. But for me, when the characters start to go off course, that's when I know that I'm doing something right. Like that's when it starts to feel like they're um, blossoming into their own real people. That's amazing. It's almost like they're personified. Mm -hmm. And certainly your characters are. Because now they're so popular that folks draw them. Even. I love fan art. It's the best. <laughs> so cool. Here's a great one from Sun and Sky. Because I, I, I love this. I love asking authors about like imposter syndrome. Mm. Do you ever doubt your work? And how do you deal with that? <laughs> Every Tuesday at three o'clock. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I, I always doubt. Not always. Not always. I've actually, I feel like it's very uh, predictable for me. I get an idea for a story that I'm really excited about. Researching it goes great. Outlining it goes great. Writing the first twenty to 30,000 words goes great. And then every single book, you get to this place where you're, you're through the beginning, you're, you've know, gotten through the inciting incident and that first doorway, and now you're looking ahead to the rest of the plot, and all of the doubts just come <laughs> rushing in, and, and you start to think, oh, this is boring, this is predictable, this, this has been done before, I have nothing new to say. I hate these characters. The setting is so cliche. The, you know, everything, everything that could be wrong with a book is wrong with this book. And that used to freak me out a lot. And I would get really scared. I spent, like I said, it it took me two years to revise Cinder. And I spent a good portion of that convinced that nobody would ever read this book. (laughs) Why, Why would anybody want to read this? So that's really scary when you're putting so much time and, and heart and love into something. These days, I know to expect it. I know it's coming. And I know that if I keep going, eventually I will get past that and I will get to a place on the other side where the story starts to feel exciting again. And you have these little gems in the manuscript, little pieces of dialogue that made you laugh and, you know, moments where the the romance is coming together and you're swooning and you're like, this is the best thing ever. And then you get to the climax and you're like, this is so exciting and I can't wait to see how they're going to overcome the villain. And it starts to shine and sparkle again. And then, of course, like I've said, revisions are for me where like all the magic happens. So I know that eventually once I get into revisions and I can start picking apart all the things that I didn't like about it and making them stronger, then then I can do that. Um, But I have to have something written first. So, so yeah, so it happens and it happens with every single book. Um, and I know that it's going to happen. So it doesn't really scare me anymore. Uh, and honestly, in talking to other writers, 
I, I think it is 100% universal. I don't know of any writers that don't experience this. So I hope that gives comfort to writers um, who are maybe in their first manuscript and experiencing this for the first time. You're not alone. The trick is to just keep going. I think that's a, a fantastic note to, to move on to just before we like end today's episode and wrap everything up. We were wondering if you could just share some any final thoughts you have with us about NaNoWriMo and its impact on the book community, both for maybe readers and writers, um, with just kind of what your final thoughts would be on NaNoWriMo, given the chance to say. Yeah, I mean, I think there are so many books that exist today that would not have existed without NaNo. So many stories, you know, not necessarily things that have been published even, but people who have written memoirs to share with their grandkids and picture books to share with. I mean, there's just so much that has been created because people were inspired and motivated by this challenge to do it. It's not for everyone. Goodness knows not everybody thrives <laughs> under a challenge like this. Uh, not everybody has any interest whatsoever in trying to write 50,000 words in a month. That is fine. If it's not for you, doesn't mean you're not a writer or there's something wrong with you. You just need to find your own path. That's cool. Um, but for those of you who it does speak to, it's fun. And I highly encourage you to give it a shot. Um, if the 50,000 word goal doesn't work for you, set a goal that does. Join the community, have fun, write something that you wouldn't have written otherwise. That's fantastic. Thank you, Marissa. Hopefully this motivates a lot of listeners and other folks to just give it a try. I hope so. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll get past 8,000 words. This could be the year. Let's do it. <laughs> you still got two weeks to prep. That's right. As of recording this episode. <laughs> I might not be very useful to you at Y'all Fest, Corey. <laughs> Exciting. Before we do our outro, Marissa, was there anything you wanted to like plug at all while, you, while we have you here? Oh, gosh. Um, sure. So please listen to my podcast, which is The Happy Writer with Marissa Meyer. I interview authors and post almost weekly, um, and we talk about bringing more joy into the writing life. So that's very thematic. And then my next book is called With a Little Luck, and it comes out in February, and it is available for pre-order. What's it about? It is a companion to Instant Karma. Um, so it's a contemporary romance about a, a boy named Jude who plays Dungeons and Dragons and is kind of a nerd. <laughs> And one day he finds a magical dice that with every roll gives him impossible good luck. And he uses this to ask out the popular girl of his dreams, but soon comes to find that maybe the dice is actually messing with him. I love that plot. That's awesome. That sounds like so much fun. It was a lot of fun to write. I loved it. All right. Well, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Lost in Plots, featuring our incredible special guest, Marissa Myers. Thank you so much for joining us again. Um, this was a treat. Be sure to check out Marissa's latest books and work at marissameyer.com and give Marissa a follow on Instagram at Author. And thank you to our listeners and all the future NaNoWriMo novelists out there. Alcrate had some amazing future projects in the work, and we'd love to hear all about your stories. Uh, come join me. Hang out in the nest at thenest.alcrate.com. It's Alcrate's totally free app just for readers, and you can tell me all about your future writing projects. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to Lost in Plots. Until next time, keep writing, keep dreaming, and keep unleashing your incredible creativity. See you next time! 